Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. We're coming to you from Tourisia in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Euro Nation. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Each week we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. And if you've ever watched the movie Tobey Maguire, you'll know that sport is a business, and a big one. But just how big is the business of sport? If we're talking in Australian dollars, sport is a trillion dollar global business. And this business is getting disrupted in front of our eyes. One of the dominant narratives of 2023 has been the rapid rise and acceptance of women's sport. From the Matildas to the Australian women's cricket team winning the Ashes to the recent AFLW grand final selling out. 2023 is in many ways the year that women's sport went big. In this edition, we discuss seriously women's sport and we ask where is it going? To do that, we are joined by someone who's made sport and the business of sport his focus. Professor Tim Harcourt is industry professor and chief economist at the Institute of Public Policy and Governance at the University of Technology, Sydney. Professor Tim Harcourt, welcome to Think Business Futures. Great to be with you. Thank you. Now, look, it's been a landmark year in women's sport and you know for the world, but especially for Australia. Would, would you agree it has been a landmark year? And, and what for you were some of the highlights? Oh, look, I think it has been. I mean, uh, there's no doubt to me that uh, Matildonomics has been the highlight of the year with the World Cup. I mean, the Women's World Cup for soccer, Association Football, was the first big world event that Australia had held since the probably the, you know, the Rugby World Cup uh, in, in 2003. So it was, and it was the first big event post-COVID. So it was a big deal on the world world stage. And I remember writing a piece when the Matildas played Brazil in Penrith in, you know, 2017. And I thought it was a big deal. They got 15,000 people there. Mm. And at the time it was. Yep. And we're saying, you know, this is a good sign, you know. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, we've got 80,000 plus in the sellout crowds, not just for the Matildas, but for a lot of the teams, particularly at the business end of the tournament. So well beyond expectations, i And say. the TV ratings were incredible. Everyone got behind them. I think Aussie's like a winner, whether yep. it's a women's team or a men's team. Uh, it could be tiddlywinks, it could be soccer, it could be cricket. Mm. If Australia's a chance, we're watching. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the Matildas does feel a little bit like it was about the, 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 the fact that the team was winning and really at the very pointy end of the competition. But then you've got things like uh, women's AFL, women's cricket. They've been having amazing years as well. The women's cricket team... Uh, is very powerful, does very well. Of course, they won the World Cup uh, just before COVID hit to a big crowd at the MCG. The standards, I think, I think the standards of women cricket, women's cricket and women's soccer with the Matildas and so on has really lifted because they always said if you invest in women's sport, you'll see an improvement. Hmm. And you know, I think if you look at cricket 10 years ago and soccer 10 years ago, you can see it. And I, so I think the, the interesting thing about particularly the, the the soccer, was that people didn't go because they said, oh, we should. They went because they wanted to and because the standard was good. And I think we've seen that in cricket as well. And the standard is incredible. And it just underlines that this success has not happened overnight, has it? There's been a lot of work that's gone into this. Yeah, it's been a lot of investment. Um, it's interesting. I, I took um, a delegation to India for the IPL. We had a – UTS had a cricket, Commonwealth uh, – uh, and collaboration conference in New Delhi in May at the same time as the IPL. And we took Matthew Hayden and Lisa Stelica, both Australian cricketers uh, of yesteryear, 
And Lisa Stelica said that Matthew Hayden himself in the Players Association, the Players Union, had been a big supporter of improving women's wages. And so she said, it's not women versus men in this. The, the men's cricket team helped them establish their, uh, you know, their conditions and their wages. And she said without the men, they wouldn't have got to where they are. So I think it's been a collaborative effort by sports people uh, you know, right across their codes. And, and women's sport is a, it's a very visible sign of Australia moving forward, um, you know, moving towards gender equality. But Tim, do you also see sport as a driver of equality? Well, I think, I, I think it is, and um, I think it's important that, and I, many sporting people said this to me, that we don't forget boys' sport as well. You know, a lot of people said we, don't, we want boys to be healthy, and the fact that they're investing a lot in women's sports means that a lot of clubs, uh, like my son's junior footy club now, has girls and boys playing at the club, and the whole club system strengthens. So, you know, what we ultimately want is more boys and girls playing, uh, we want more health. We want better productivity, obviously, for the for the country, and less need to you know invest in diabetes and all these terrible health problems. So, mm. uh, I, I think it's more about lifting everyone's standards together, and yeah. that's been the uh, that's been the ethos, I think, of a lot of what we've seen. And you've touched on this already. I mean, women's sport uh, can be a force for good, and you talked about about going to India with uh, two former sports stars working as ambassadors, but you've also written about this. How important is that women sports stars also take up this role of being global ambassadors? Yeah, I thought about it because, you know, we used, uh, when I was at Austrade, we used a lot of the uh, Wallabies as ambassadors for the World Cup, and we'd done it with Timmy Cale and a few uh, other sports people. I was just thinking, and, and Thorpey, of course, in he's so popular in Asia. I was thinking like Mary Fowler in PNG would be pretty popular, and uh, the Matildas have now got higher profiles, and with that comes a lot of responsibility. I think some of the um, uh, difficult times the Matildas have had internally that we saw here just before the World Cup that needs to be taken seriously too. So um, I actually think that as you get more popular, as more people watch the Matildas, as they watch other women's sports, there'll also be a need to be responsible in terms of governance and to take the sport more seriously. And that means, um, you know, making sure there's no discrimination or harassment within the sport as well as, uh, you know, from uh, crowds and officials and other people. And I guess I guess those internal pressures are something that we probably should talk about here. And, and what, what do you think of the idea that women's soccer in Australia is currently bigger than the men's game? Because it kind of feels that way. I think the Matildas can win the World Cup. Mm. I'm not sure whether the Socceroos can just because it's yep. more competitive. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I think in some ways, because and I'm writing about this in my book, Footynomics, about all the four codes, in a way because um, soccer people feel a bit frustrated because in most countries, they're the number one code mm. or they're the only code. In some countries, they're one of two and probably the biggest code. But in Australia, there's four. And so Aussie rules is big. It's Australia's, you know, indigenous game. Rugby league is really big in the northern states. Rugby union's still around. So soccer has to compete with three other codes. Mm. But one thing that soccer has going for it, apart from being the world game, is that the women's game is quite strong. So I think, I think that actually helps uh, the sport in in general. So that's something that I think they're playing to their advantage. And also, I think that's the reason that there's been a lot of investment in AFLW and NRL and also the the, the, the Wallaroos. I mean, do you see a time when if you've got a situation where the women's code is actually bigger than the men's code in a particular sector that 
it, you know, obviously, you know, there'll be a lot of pressure for uh, uh, equal rates of pay, but you could see that also flowing through into uh, broadcast rights and all, all those sorts of things. So do you think commercial pressures uh, are going to enter into some of these codes, and it's going to get there's going to be a, a period of adjustment? Well, we've seen this, and the, I mean, the, the the demise of Netball Australia has been part for the reason for mm. this. I mean, Netball is run by women; it's played by women. Women watch it. Women dominate Netball. There's no question about it. But it had the whole women's sort of sport mm. angle to itself for a long time, so they could get sponsors easily. Now they've got to compete with soccer. They've got yep. to compete with uh, uh, AFLW and NRLW. So they're finding it a lot harder. And uh, I think that's where a lot of the pressure will be. The pressure will be on women's sports that don't have the men's code propping them up. Uh, uh, and that's one of the – I think that's one of the things that netball – has found hard this year, and as well as their own internal struggles. Is there a way forward for netball? Oh, I think there is. I think there is. I mean, um, it's still a hugely popular sport by participation, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know, I just think it's something that can, can stand on its own, its own two feet. Um, th- and there's a lot of uh, what Matt Carroll, the head of the IOC, calls second and third tier sports that have got similar challenges, mm-hmm. but of course they're in the Olympics and they've got these types of things going for them, you know, when you think about rowing and sculling and all these sorts of things. So across the board, I think Australians are pretty sports mad. So, you know, they've got a lot of things going for them. We're obviously touching on this and dancing around it, but sport is big business. In fact, you know, it's huge business. And I was actually astounded when I looked up this figure um, that the global sports business is worth something in the order of $670 billion US dollars. That's a that's more than a trillion dollars Australian. Yeah, um. yeah, yeah. I mean, I did economics of sport because I thought I should have a you know have some fun away from trade and macroeconomics, but it's actually more serious because it's actually really a big deal. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, that, that's uh, something in the order of two thirds the size of the Australian economy. Yeah. Um, so, how significant are these recent shifts? And and do you see that women's sport is going to be breaking up that pie in a in a in a, in a much larger fashion than what we've already seen? Look, I think these things should be determined by demand. And mm. uh, I mean, if people want to go going to watch the Matildas and they want to watch them on telly and the uh, women's cricket, then I think the players should be paid well. Um, and similarly, you know, with all with all the codes, if uh, if some are dropping off in terms of crowds, well. You know, that's a bit of a challenge for them. And uh, we do know uh, within sport, there's it's not a perfect market. You know, there's not free competition because you have a draft and you have a salary cap. And um, sport, you know, there's a famous uh, American football owner who said that during the week, we owners are big Republican fat cats. But on the weekends with our football clubs, we're socialists because they want to redistribute all the revenue all mm. the time. So there's a lot of redistribution in it. I mean, the we know the AFL subsidises AFLW. We know the same with the NRL. We know they're across subsidies, and uh, that's uh, probably necessary to, to grow the to grow the game. And if, if we move it over to women's AFL, they've just had their grand final, over thirteen thousand tickets sold. And my understanding is it could have been a much higher number. I think that officials were caught hopping um, on this one, but they didn't see the demand uh, that the the game would have. Or is it just uh, a sign that the sport? is still in a growth mode and, and basically these sorts of things happen. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, the fact is that um, uh, Marvel Stadium had already been booked for some other concerts and, mm. and so on, so they just couldn't make it happen. But the players themselves said they liked the atmosphere. You know, it, you know, it wasn't massive, but it was 30,000 and it sold out quickly. And 
I think for North Melbourne in particular, that's a good crowd. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the spirit of the game is that they're on the growth mode. And unlike, you know, Matildas could win the World Cup, the Socceroos probably not. In AFL, we always know AFL, the men's sport's going to be the big one. So I think the fact that you're in a growth mode and the clubs have their women's division, and when Tasmania comes in, the women's and men's will come in together, I I think that's part of how you build the sport. So uh, I I wouldn't be, I don't think the AFL would lose much sleep over that crowd. And I mean, this this year too has been a significant year. Um, um, And if we talk about the Sydney Swans, the rate of growth that they've seen, this club's only in its second year and it already was topping the table for the the highest average crowd over the season. So people are embracing this game. They are. They're marking it very well. And in you know, my son's junior club, Maroubra Saints, we've had women's teams for a long time now, and it's just doubled the size of the club. So it's great. And uh, Craig Davis, the great Collingwood footballer, he, he coaches his granddaughter there, Nick Davis's daughter. So there's a bit of genetics uh, coming through that, uh, that side as well. And, and look, we've, we've just touched on the size of, of the business uh, of sport. Uh, elite sport gets a, a high degree of uh, government assistance, as these sports continue to grow, do you think that government assistance should switch over to the clubs and the grassroots level, or will elite sport always need this level of, of assistance? That's a fantastic question. You know, we're, we're, we're launching the UTS Centre for Sport, Business and Society next week for this reason, you know, because obviously you want elite sports, you want Australia to win gold medals at the Olympics, but ultimately you want sport to facilitate it right across the community. So that's a big trade-off. I think that's, that's exactly right. Uh, and you've written about this previously that, uh, you know, elite sport, there isn't any trickle-down economics. And I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that idea because normally we would think that there would be a trickle-down. But in elite sport, you're saying that it doesn't trickle down to the grassroots. Well, look, it, 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 it can help. But, um, you know, we're always going to have Sam Kerr and Ian Thorpe and, and all these great stars. When Cathy Freeman won the you know, won the gold at the Olympics. We all watched it. Did we produce a lot of great runners after that? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, we probably produced the average that we would have anyway. So I think it's great for national pride and it's great for, you know, the psychological impact of it. Um, but at the end of the day, there's other things that matter. Um, for instance, in cricket, you know, um, UTS has a cricket lab that works on you know, getting women bowling fast, for instance. And uh, it has, uh, you know... Uh, obviously has relationships with Cricket New South Wales. They invest in the Delhi Capitals and the in the IPL. So I think it's, you know, those elements which are going to basically generate the success, not just a lot of people watching the stars. But uh, but I guess with this idea of the trickle down too, like um, I, I, I remember you making the point that uh, let's say the government invests in a large stadium in Tasmania, for instance, that's not really going to have a, a flow on effect to the, the grassroots, is it? Only because the AFL's given them 360 mil to Tasmania, yep. of which 15 mil's for the stadium. The rest is for upgrades in Wynyard, Penguin, Launceston and so on. Play the AFLW team around the state and the men's team in the pre-season. And um, the stadium precinct um, is obviously more than just the stadium and I think that's the way they've structured it. And I think that's the reason that the Albanese government's also invested in it. So, look, we've just gone through a landmark year for women's sport and, you know, level of exposure, the interest, um, you know, it, it's wiping away historical levels that we've seen. What do, what do you think the next few years is going to look like for the various codes? Oh, look, I think they're all going to grow, um, but I think there's going to be now some 
challenges because, you know, demand will pick up and so there's got to be good facilities, you know, good change rooms and and so on. So there'll be a lot of investment, I think, in that in that legacy as the, the, the FA calls it, the Football Association calls it, and the same across all the different codes. And I think there'll be big challenges with governance uh, because – We've had our challenges with professional men's sport, you know, going mm. rugby union from amateur to professional and the other leagues. And there are issues with dealing with professional athletes. We expect professional athletes to be all these sorts of things to society. And we're going to put those pressures on women athletes too. And so I think the governance that we're going to have with social behaviour is going to, going to apply to women as well as men. So it's great. It's exciting. Uh, it's going to be great for participation. But I think we have to also treat the issues around sport, some of which are not very pretty. Uh, I think we've got to treat them seriously as well. So that will be part of the challenge. And when, when you say the governance is going to be really important, what, what kind of aspects are you talking about there? Are you talking uh, as, along the lines of what sports people do on social media, what they're doing when they go out on a Saturday night? Well, we all obviously know that in the case of men's AFL and rugby league, there's been a lot of issues around that sort of thing. Is that what you're talking about? I am, and also within the code itself. So um, we know that uh, some of the Matilda and ex-Matildas made some allegations about harassment within the camp and we sort of didn't hear anything about it because we all wanted to get the World Cup underway and I think that um, those types of things have to be taken seriously whether you're a, a man, a woman, whoever it is, it's a coach or a teammate, um, I think we have to take these things very seriously and so that's an issue for governance and, and accountability and that applies to women's sport just as it applies to men's sport, and I think as women's sport becomes more professional and there's more money in it, which you know, which is exciting, um, there'll be obviously more resources to make sure that everything you know works well. And I guess we saw that play out a little bit with uh, Spain winning the the World Cup and the fallout which happened directly mm. after from the the celebrations and 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 I guess the internal uh, politics that was going on within that club. I guess that's going to be the next frontier for for women's sport in Australia, isn't it? No, I think that's right. I mean, Lisa Devano was upset because she felt that there was a harassment of women on women and it was never picked up in the press uh, in the same way that men on women harassment is picked up. So that was her that was her her her, mm. her view and you saw that of course it played out with Spain with 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 the president. So I think I think um, what will happen is that uh, there'll be more resources, there'll be you know more TV rights, there'll be more professionalism, and so that gives um, women's sport, like men's sport, a chance to look after those governance things, so that everyone feels safe, you know, kicking a soccer ball or playing playing Aussie rules or whatever it is. Well, look, putting on the 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 say pulling out the uh, crystal ball, where, where do you see each code being, say five years from now? So let's let's start with soccer. Where do you, you women's soccer? Where do you think it'll be five years from now? So I guess I'm saying uh, about a year after the next World Cup. Well, I think it'll still be exciting. We've got the Olympics next mm-hmm. year. Um, you d- you won't get the euphoria of hosting a World Cup again in quite the same way but we have the Olympics we'll have Brisbane 2032 but I, th- I think it'll still be on the radar and people will still be very excited about it and I think p- more people will follow the individual Matildas playing overseas and what they're what they're doing there just to, is, as we saw the golden generation of Socceroos. And what about uh, women's cricket five years from now? Oh I think that's going to be be terrific and Australia's going to go very well and I think um Participation rates will go up. I think it's a very exciting era for cricket. I noticed in India the women's uh, Premier League too, and Lisa Stelica was telling me about you know the improvement in wages there. So I think in Indian cricket that's a, that's a 
Indian cricket, women's cricket, men's cricket, that's uh, that's a stock to buy, I think. Yeah, I look, it was very impressive when I was watching the the, the most recent Ashes uh, series. It was in, I thought the standard was incredible, um, and you can just see it getting even better. Um, yeah, no, I think it's very good. I think the, the, the WBBL is a very good standard, and uh, uh, I just think it's great for boys and for girls that cricket's so strong. And women's AFL five years from now? Oh, it's going to get better. I think you'll see bigger crowds. I think... When they started, it was free to get in. It meant they got good crowds, but mm. I think it's better you pay to get in because then ultimately that goes to the the players' salaries. And um, NRL and AFL always restricted in the sense that they're not global like soccer and, and rugby, but they do get they're well supported, and they do have incredibly strong men's codes behind them. So that's going to help. And here's the hard one: what about netball five years from now? Netball netball's got to get some governance issues sorted, and um, they've got to be prepared to really think about their sponsorship and their, their partnerships. I think they got themselves into a bit of a mess this year and uh, luckily Bill Shorten came in and sort of brokered a deal to get them over the line. Well, look, on that note, um, Professor Tim Harcourt, thank you for being on Think Business Futures. Great pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tourist CR and is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. If you want to listen to this program again or share it with your friends, just go to touristyr.com or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Think Business Futures will be back next week. I'm Anthony Dockwell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>